Welcome to Cabin Minute Cast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual has begun. We are ready and we are appeasing those old gods one minute at a time. I am Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. Hey, and I'm Molly Balin of LittleRedMark.com. And in today's episode, we're covering minute 45 of the movie, The Cabin in the Woods. And in this minute, There's a book with pictures, a famous book with pictures that we'll talk about, and it'll be great. Yay! Yay. Death's on its way. (laughs) Yay! Sometimes you need to take a time out from death and read a comic book, which is pretty much uh, what Marty decides to do. Yeah, so I'm looking at minute 45 here, reacquainting myself with this minute, or the 45-minute point in the movie, and we're getting, before we get to that comic book, we're getting bit more of the the machine la machine la machine <laughs> and getting to see it sort of in all of its brassy steampunky glory and the glass is being broken we're seeing it pool up and this is where we get that like the carved out it looks like it's carved in like stone. Yep. And it looks like the top of, you know, what we'll later find is the top of the carving of the whore, right? That, yep. that top of her head. But just a little, a little taste. <laughs> Do you remember seeing this? In the first time you saw this, and it, it, like, do you have any memory of like going, what is this? Or, you know, being intrigued by what was going on here? You know, a little bit. I, I've taken quite a bit of art history for mm-hmm. various requisites of, of art education. And so part of the, not that it's a Philippa carved relief with blood type background necessarily, but um, there's quite a bit of carved relief in Sumerian and, and Egyptian art. And so that was kind of part of the jam. So when I saw it, I knew I knew it was some type of carved relief. And then also, and I might be wrong, and so there's probably listeners out there who may be either a fans or, you know, closeted fans of the Blade Trinity trilogy, you know, Mm -hmm. jam. But I know that there's some vampire carved relief type art in there, too. So I think I had more of a association with Blade (laughs) than I even Mm. did of, you know, art history stuff. But I think that's kind of mixed in. Obviously, there's a uh, the DNA is in the the ancient art for for these artifacts, but that's that was kind of my initial reaction to it. I I always kind of wondered whose blood that was that was pooling in. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's there's no indication of whose that is, but I just kind of curious about do you just have that on on hand or does somebody like send out to go grab that and they they're like, oh hey Bob and maintenance, will you set up the blood machine? with the blood that you picked up this weekend. So we're all set up for that. So when we start picking people off, we're like good to go. Right. Like did, did lab works go and pick it up? <laughs> like I had friends who were picking up lab specimens and dropping them off at hospitals and stuff like that. So I can imagine them driving around with vials of miscellaneous blood. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Yeah. That's kind of a, that's a weird gig. Cause I worked at a clinic and, and he was like the nicest guy who would come in and pick up the poo samples. Sure. <laughs> Somebody's got to do Somebody's it. Somebody's got to do it. And I just, yeah, it's it, it becomes very commonplace at a certain point. But yeah, I, I like that idea that there's some type of lab works dude who has to go around and, and pick up the samples to be able to set up the machine for it to do what it needs to do. Yeah, I think 
when we first saw it, when I first saw it, I remember kind of quickly going like, is that somehow her blood? Mm. You know, like maybe not really catching the vial thing or just kind of, you know, just in the spur of the moment kind of going like, or is it somehow like seeping down through the dirt or something? And there's like some sort of almost ant colony like way of the blood moving quickly through something and you know getting in like I didn't thought didn't stay with me for very long but there was just this quick little like hmm is that somehow going directly from the person that they just killed right you know? is that kind of the I mean that's I think very logical and makes sense too that if you have all of this machinery and you have this very expensive very complicated system it also stands to reason to conjecture that somehow somebody did maybe take a sample of that you know we think of black magic and whether this is 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 true quote unquote true or not but taking parts of the body for ritual and having some sort of mm-hmm. energetic connection to it. And so it, it makes sense that we have in, in our, I think, collective consciousness here that that would be reasonable because we are talking about a ritual. We are talking about somebody who was just killed to be able to use that in the completion and the da 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 da. We did our job. Here it is. And now it's filling up this carved relief. And then the next question is, is like, does that get like cleaned out or who takes care of that at a certain point? Right. Because somebody's got to bleach that out because it looks pretty clean here being filled up. It so does. if this is an archetype that as Americans we see and, and is replicated, you know, apparently over and over and over again, then it stands to reason that it either A, needs to be rebuilt or B, cleaned up and, and set up again, because that'd be, I guess, a, an expensive prospect to have to rebuild every time. So... Right. Yeah. I'm getting deep in the woods with it. Deep in the weeds. You are. (laughs) Deep in the weeds. But yeah, no, thanks for for going down that that little thought zone with me Mm -hmm. for a minute. And then one thing I just noticed is as after we leave that where the blood is, is like you said, it's kind of flowing in this relief of the top of the horror. <laughs> we'll see more as the movie progresses. So we get this little kind of pastoral shot again from outside of the cabin, and it looks perfectly innocent in, in there, at least visually. I don't have the sound on right now, so I don't remember what the music cue is, but there's like, you can see that there's a bit of a roar of a fire and some lamps there's a some golden light and you could imagine it's it could be just like a romantic setting or a nice quiet place to read or something like that and so just i like that we get that little shot of just we don't really know what's going on and then and then we get marty propped up in bed <laughs> with his little his big little nemo book <laughs> which i'm assuming he brought in his luggage or do you think they had that there as reading in the cabin. Well, I, I I wonder that too. And I do have a little bit of information about Little Nemo. This is the volume two. There's a couple of volumes that came mm-hmm. out. So incidentally, and you were bringing up a very good question because the comic was produced contemporarily to the time of the Buckners. So the Buckners enjoyed com. Maybe Matthew Buckner really enjoys comics. Who knows? When he was alive, he'd like to he'd like to kick back, and maybe he would be checking out some great DC titles now if he could do that. 
Right. I mean, obviously, the book itself here, I, I like the thread that you're tying <laughs> together. The book itself here it wasn't made in the 20s, though. I mean, it's like a modernly binded comic collection. But what you're saying is it could be that it's in the cabin and also from a, it's also from the time of the Buckner. Mm -hmm. So it could have been something that they read or had like was reading in, from the newspapers back then or something like mm -hmm. that. You're right. This is a modern book. It's modernly bound. The comic itself is contemporary to them. It was around at the same time. And it, it, it was, and you're right, it was featured in newspapers initially. Um, there was like 500 and let me look that up. There were 549 episodes of Little Nemo. This particular on volume two, which he's looking at, was 1907-1908. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember them as being very surreal. What what kind of, how deep of a little dive did you go into the history of, of the comic book? Well, I'll give my spiel. Here's what I found out. So Little Nemo was inspirational to several different artists. Federico Fellini, Robert Crumb are examples. Little Nemo in Slumberland ran in the New York Herald from October 15th, 1905 until July 23rd, 1911. The strip was renamed In the Land of Wonderland Dreams. And this is written by, Little Nemo is written by Windsor McKay. So McKay brought it to William Randolph Hearst, New York American, where it ran from September 3rd, 1911 until July 26, 1914. Uh, when he came back to the Herald in 1924, he revived the strip and it ran under its original title from August 3rd, 1924 until December 26, 1926, when McKay returned to Hearst. So yeah, and you're right, it is a surreal type deal. So I looked up some language around this. And so this is, I'm going to read a little paragraph. The strip shows McKay's understanding of dream psychology, particularly of dream fears, falling, drowning, and impalement. This dream world has its own moral code, perhaps difficult to understand. Breaking it has terrible consequences as when Nemo ignores the instructions not to touch Queen Crystalette, who inhabits a cave of glass. Overcome with his infatuation, he causes her and her followers to shatter and awakens with, quote, the groans of the dying guardsmen still ringing in his ears. So it was kind of a surreal jam. So he'd go to sleep and then he'd have crazy adventures in Slumberland. Yeah. And it sounds like, and I remember doing some reading too, is that there are consequences to more, there's a moral code within the dreamscape that he's mm -hmm. in. Yes. And it's pretty brightly colored. It's actually kind of cool uh, for... I mean, surrealism was around in that time period, but I think it's kind of cool. A, like I was saying, that it's contemporary to the Buckner. So going back a little bit, the diary was written in 1903. This was about 1907, 1908 in the beginning. So you're talking about relatively the same time frame. So it's kind of interesting on that level. And then also because Marty here himself is finding himself in a, in a type of nightmare dreamland too. Absolutely. Yeah, he makes a funny comment about, you gotta sort your shit out, shit's all topsy-turvy. <laughs> <laughs> a little Nemo here with his little, you know, wooden one-hitter pipe. Yeah, yeah. So it, that is interesting. He's like talking to the book, like talking to little Nemo, but sort of talking to himself at the same time. I mean, because his shit's all topsy-turvy too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a it's a cool little fanboy reference that they got going on here. So the thing I remember when I was looking at Little Nemo in Slumberland was that 
there's a character called Morpheus. And I was like, Morpheus, that sounds familiar. And then Nemo, that kind of sounds like Neo, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't see, there's probably some, you know, nerdgasm connectivity <laughs> written somewhere about, you know, the, the Matrix and how it was inspired by little Nemo and it being similar to Neo. But yeah, I just thought that was an interesting little connection. So uh, I didn't, again, I I Google food it and didn't really come across anything that laid that all out. But it's quite easy to imagine that that the Wachowskis would have found inspiration by little Nemo for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and if not directly from little Nemo, from perhaps another artist who did gain inspiration from it. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> why not no that's possible because i was making the connection of specifically morpheus and nemo so and in that regard yes yeah um i i thought you were speaking more content right who fuck whatever it's called fuck editing it. whatever who fucking knows i got it matrix cool Tally-ho. <laughs> and on that note, shout out to Matrix Minute. Um, those guys are having a lot of fun going through the Matrix. So I've listened to a few episodes and they definitely are having a good time. And, and I love listening to other Movie by Minutes podcasts where you know we're all sort of like at different ages and different movies have more of a land on us maybe at different times in our lives so Mm -hmm. we're like i remember really liking the matrix but listening to somebody who's younger than me you know having their minds blown by all the matrix stuff is like it's really fun to sort of experience it through the eyes of other people and where they were at you know (laughs) and how they experienced a movie so well yeah matrix is really interesting because it had such a a surprise in it. So, I mean, I remember the trailers for it and and so much of that was like, what is the Matrix? What is it? What is it? Go find out what the Matrix is. So there was this mystery that was being sold and you had to go watch it to go, you know, find out. But because it's so intrinsic to the story, you don't want to ruin it for someone else. Kind of like, it's that fucking movie with the the kid who's like, I see dead people. Six <laughs> Sense. Six Sense, Yeah. So it's kind of like Sixth Sense where you where if you watched it, you really don't want to have to ruin it for somebody else because it's such the punchline is so big at the end that it completely recontextualizes the whole movie. It's funny that you say that, that there's people who are watching The Matrix through the eyes of a child and others who were, you know, full grown ass adults who watched it and, you know, had a different experience of it, um, different context. So, yeah, it's it's like I it's very interesting what what's very meaningful to people at different stages and and how that influences especially as a creative uh where you're an adult seeing something pretty groundbreaking versus uh, a younger person say in your teens where you're you're really you know forming your opinion about what the world looks like and and getting your your mind and your soul rocked by a piece of art then and how that shapes you so fair yeah for sure for sure yeah and just moving back to the actual Little Nemo. Also, one thing that I always remember about it, and one thing that that is true for every single story of Little Nemo, is that the very last panel is always him waking up in his bed. Mm, yes. And so at the end of each strip, he'd be like, kind of like, 
doink, you know, like up, <laughs> up right, like, you know, so that's definitely, there's some matrixy kind of a feel to that, but also like, that's where Marty is right now. He's like in mm-hmm. his bed, Why, you know, so he's kind of like experiencing this surreal world, but also waking up to it. I mean, he's sort of the one, you know, we, as we've said over and over, like he's the one that's aware, but it's just interesting to think of him, him, like I, right now, just in this minute, I just paused at second 33, so halfway through through the minute, and Marty flops down the book and raises his body up and he's and I also have the little Nemo image right next to it so they're like in parallel like they both are making the same expression no funny so it's pretty trippy there's definitely intentionality of them choosing little Nemo as what Marty is looking at here oh yeah of course yeah that's that's very intentional So, yeah. And then one thing that I found online that I thought was kind of fun, I'm not going to read through all of it, but somebody who whose blogs at good old Blogspot, our old buddy Blogspot (laughs) named uh, Shaggy Maggie, they put up their Shaggy Maggie's musings and it says April 3rd, but I don't know what year it came out. It just says April 3rd. They wrote about their experience watching the movie uh, Little Nemo hmm. Adventures in Slumberland that uh, came out later. It came out, I forget, in the 80s or the 90s, I think. I don't have that info right in front of me, but they talk about on uh, shaggymusings.blogspot.com. They talk about how beautiful it is, the the film itself. Mm. The, there's beautiful watercolor backgrounds, but that it was also scary and creepy. And they're an artist themselves. So they're like, you know, kind of being inspired by the art, but also saying how nightmarish and scary it was. Mm. And so I just thought that was interesting. And also they write about, yeah, they say, who is the king of Slumberland, you may be asking, but probably not. Why it is Morpheus, (laughs) not to be confused (laughs) with Lawrence Fishburne's character, The Matrix, says this Morpheus is basically Santa Claus in Roman gear. I really like this person (laughs) writes like really playfully and silly and fun. And you can tell the way they write very conversationally. So I like Mm, that. Cool. Like they write like shit's fucking weird. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, if you want to read all about Shaggy Maggie's musings on this subject, (laughs) we'll send you a a link. And uh, yeah, but it, it is interesting, cool artwork. And it definitely has that kind of, as we said, kind of psychedelic, surreal, um, I, when I look at it, I go, I kind of remember seeing this. Like, mm. in fact, there's a frog in it that looks like the hypnotoad from what's the thing? Do you know what the hypnotoad's from? I Molly? do not know the hypnotoad. You don't know the hypnotoad? I don't know <laughs> the hypnotoad. <laughs> Did you mean hypnotoad from Futurama? Oh. Yeah. So if you're into surreal, cartoony, interesting stuff, you might want to check this out. When I look at the images from the the stills that Shaggy Maggie has has shared on their blog, 
it does look familiar. And in fact, there's a frog or toad on here that even looks like Futurama's Hypnotoad. Hmm. So um, that might have been an inspiration for them, too. It wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and even under a picture of um, somebody in this, it even says, like, nice pants, doofus. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> some, <laughs> some good sarcasmo writing here. <laughs> like a hypnotone sarcasmo. <laughs> <laughs> Hypno sarcasmo. Hypno sarcasmo. So, yeah, so getting back to the minute itself, Marty appears to have been startled by something. That must be why he puts down the book and straight up goes into Nemo mode here. Here's the whispers. Oh, shit. Yeah. I want to go take a walk. So that's interesting. So the whispers are literally like trying to be the voices in his head, right? I think so. Yeah, I don't think it's like a lady, like an actual lady lady. I think it's whatever they're and they I don't know that they ever really like explain it other than the fact that the weed is counteracting the chemicals, mm -hmm. chemical influences. So that's kind of a, a bit of a bridge for me. I have to I have to extend myself to believe that, that the chemistry somehow connects to the idea without any kind of like outside influence. It makes sense to me when they put the chemicals and the blonde hair dye to dumb jewels down, mm -hmm. instituting some sort of chemical to produce some sort of a thought response to send somebody to do something is a bigger stretch for me to go along with. Right. But fine, fuckity fuck, there's Titans under the ground an argument can be made we're having to stretch everywhere so all right peace be with you fine but that's i, I believe the implication here is is the weed is counteracting the the impulse the chemical impulses that they're telling him to go take a walk so he's just hearing it instead of just doing it but right. he fucking he does it anyway in a future minute but yeah 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 i was thinking it was like when you're, say you're on LSD, <laughs> for example, <laughs> you hear the voice, but you might think it was your own voice, I guess is what I was thinking. Like oh. that he would be hearing it, but whatever drug that was supposed to be affecting him was making him not second guess, just having an inner thought that could, but that's actually being piped in. I guess that's what I was thinking. That they're piping the thought into him? No, not literally into him, but he's hearing it like kind of a whisper. Mm -hmm. When we hear our own voice in our head, it could be just that he's hearing a whisper, but that if he wasn't being counterbalanced by the pot, he might just think that's my own voice saying that, my own inner dialogue saying that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, that's the point they're trying to make here is that he's hearing a voice that if things were working as they should, he would acknowledge it as his own and just go forth and do the thing, you know, feel the thought and the impulse and then just go do it. But he's feeling it divorced from inside his head. And that's part of the problem is he's, he's recognizing that it doesn't belong to him. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that sounds kind of matrixy too. So mm. I guess it's sort of a matrixy minute. <laughs> 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 so yeah, um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Like right now, he's just kind of talking to the room, like right. Yeah, you have the dialogue in front of you, I think. Yeah, he's heard the whisper. I'm gonna go for a walk. You know, and at that point, he he swears to God, someone's talking. He second guesses himself. He hears it again. And that's when he like launches up and he's like, you know, enough. What are you saying? Huh? What do you want? Do you think I'm a puppet? Huh? You think I'm a puppet? So he has this almost New England East Coast mm. posturing mm-hmm. that he does to the air yeah. <laughs> in this moment, like a taxi driver moment, the movie right. Taxi Driver, where he's kind of talking right. in the air. That's what yeah, it reminds yeah. me of. I totally get that. Yeah, it's like a one man play in here with marty right (laughs) yeah it's totally it's a one-man show and the minute cuts off the full line of dialogue but it's yeah we we get it the paranoia it's only paranoia oh no 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 what's the what's the the reese phrase you're only (laughs) i can't remember no there's a reese there's a john reese phrase i'm sure there is i just can't remember just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. For sure. Yes. Okay. So um, is there anything else that you wanted to add about this particular minute? No, I think we're at a good good spot to, to stop here. Cool. So it is Friday. So we have, yay, recommendations. All right. What is your fine, fantastic pop culture recommendation for this fine Friday? <sighs> Man, I got a million of them, but um, I, w- <laughs> I really do. I've been consuming a lot of media lately, <laughs> uh, but I will say that I saw a couple of movies that I really liked and um, I won't go into grave detail about them, but I will recommend them. One of them is, is I finally saw It Follows. Mm, okay and i hadn't seen it yet and so for those who don't know it is a horror movie it is um i will say one thing that i knew uh, I'll, i'll say i knew that it was a horror mystery thriller type film that came out fairly recently uh came out in 2014 i knew that it had sort of a retro feel to it but i didn't know what that meant you know, retro can be anything mm. for anybody, but it has sort of an 80s-ish, 90s-ish feel mm. to it. Okay. But it's also, it's more, this isn't a spoiler. I will not spoil anything. I thought, I had a an expectation that we were going to be following one woman on a journey throughout the whole movie. It's actually more of an ensemble cast. So it has mm. a little more of a connection to this this movie that we're watching in that there's we're following a a a scooby gang in this movie it's more the the kind of movie that i like in that it's not about blood and gore it's more of that tense taut being creeped out by very scary things you know coming at you in slow Mm -hmm. ways so it's it's Mm -hmm. it's uh it builds and so if you like those horror thrillers that are more about the slow burn, I think you'll like it. And it's very unique. And then as far as what time zone it is, 
supposed to fall in. It's actually a surreal non-time zone. So it doesn't take place in a specific era. And I, I thought that mm-hmm. was very intriguing without, without saying more. So I do mm. recommend it. Um, and it's on Netflix streaming right now. And uh, I'll, I'll wait till our next Friday to do the next movie, you know? Oh, cool. Cool. Thank you. So my recommendation is 2011's Goon. And Goon is a movie that I, I probably have seen like 10 times. And I say that because every time, if I'm in a really, really like shitty space and I'm sad about something, Goon is like a Prozac for me. It's It has so much heart. It's dirty. It's fantastic. So it's Jay Baruchel. So if you have watched uh, This Is The End, Jay's in there and he was in Million Dollar Baby. He's done a bunch of stuff. Um, He's part of the Seth Rogen, Franco crew. And (laughs) he just does, and he also stars in it, and he just does a hell of a job. So it's a hockey movie. It's a sports movie. So of all things, it's it's probably, I'm just going to go on record and say it's probably the best sports movie ever made. And someone's going to (laughs) totally... I'm sure there'll be people who will argue with me, but I think it's amazing. And it's got so much like lovely heart in it. And Allison Pill is in it. If you know the newsroom and it is the story of Doug Glatt, who is played by Sean William Scott. And he is a bouncer and in a twist of fate at a hockey game that his friend takes him to, um, he beats the crap out of another hockey player and it catches the eye of a coach of uh, the hockey team that was playing at the time and he gets drafted and it's the story of him just going through figuring out if he's he says he's a hockey player but in hockey there's guys who just look or enforcers who basically like get sent out to beat the crap out of guys and like send them to the bench basically to send them to the penalty box and it's a thing and that's blood sport and hockey awesome 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 so uh jay is from canada so it's a very canadian kind of a flick but uh liev schreiber's in it as well and liev is does a fantastic job and is like a big guy who's kind of on his way out of hockey and is a, a classic enforcer and kind of the the old version of what doug glatt will eventually blossom into and and doug glatt is sean william scott okay. yeah yeah, so it's a it's a sweet, sweet little hockey flick, and it's just heartwarming in so many ways, and just filthy, 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 and it's wonderful, and I just I I just belly laugh every time I see it. So that's so great because I know I know Doug Benson, he always touts how great it is, and I don't think I've ever heard him mention that it's co-direct co-written by Jay Baruchel and Evan Goldberg mm-hmm. ever. So uh, I, I just, I like to have a little bit of context or like, you know, why might I like it? You know, <laughs> just sometimes people are like, you'll like this. Like, can you tell me more? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so thanks for filling it out a bit there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So Evan and Seth have worked together quite a bit in the past and yeah. So super bad. They co-wrote they're part of the team, part of the crew. So yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I actually just rewatched This Is The End the other day, just just for just for funsies. <laughs> <laughs> and Jay Baruchel's like kind of the main guy of that, you know, in the beginning, at least. So mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty fun. Cool. Yeah, very enjoyable. Well, thanks. 
Thanks for the reco. Awesome. Well, let's wrap this baby up. And um, you can find us as always at cabinminutecast.com. You can always find me, of course, at heidibennett.com. And uh, how about you, Molly? Yeah, so you can find me at littleredmark.com. So there's going to be animation that'll be coming in, in 2018 to add to that and awesome yeah yeah so that's that's it's being developed as we speak so that's fantastic yeah so thank you guys for showing up on this fine friday and we will see you back at the cabin mm-hmm.